Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to X's and O's with your hosts, Greg Cassell and Doug Farrar. Hello, good Tuesday morning, and welcome everyone to the second episode of the X's and O's with Greg Cosell and Doug Farrar. I'm Doug Farrar. More importantly, that's Greg Cosell of NFL Films and the ESPN NFL Matchup Show. And Greg, great response to our first show. Very happy about that. I want to move the discussion forward from the non-negotiables for positions, which we talked about last week, to this week. Let's discuss the paths to the NFL for the top quarterbacks in this draft class. And it's not so much like, here's my top five and what do you think? Um, I want to go, hopefully we can do five. If time permits, we'll just do four. Um, So this is not my top five. It may or may not be yours. I want to go talking about the draftable quarterbacks in this class in in reverse order of how much development they will need, in my opinion. Um, So we'll start with the guy who needs the least development and go to the guys with the most. The guy I think needs the least development is C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. And when we talked about non-negotiables last week about quarterbacks, the first thing you said is ball placement. Based on my evaluation, I think, and Bryce Young is right there, but I think C.J. Stroud, to me, might have the best ball placement of any quarterback in this class. I would say consistently so, yes. Um, And I think, as we discussed last week, his ability to make pace and touch throws, you know, those kind of feathering, layering throws, uh, that's a real trait, and there's not a lot of quarterbacks that come into the league that have that ability to do that at such a young stage in their development. And I think Stroud can do that. Um, And, you know, ultimately Stroud can move better than people might think, but ultimately what he is at his core is a ball distributor and efficient executor and his ability to be precise with his ball location on intermediate and deep throws and his willingness to make those throws really stands out. He had a boundary throw. I'm sure you've seen it to Marvin Harrison Jr. against Michigan. It was about 45 yards down. Another throw. Like, I mean, you could he could have run up and like put it in Harrison's hands, and it was about the same. Yeah, I think it was going from right to left, and it might have been a little mini dash to the right. Yes, he threw it back to the left. You know, uh, kind of a deep comeback throw. Absolutely, I remember. It's just preposterous. So when we talk about Stroud and development. I think good, good plus arm, not, you know, not a howitzer, but you don't need that. Um, Where are the areas where you think he needs a little bit of work? Um, You know, without the usual stuff that everybody needs, just because the NFL game is a different game and it's faster and the the better athletes and the usual cliched stuff. um, You know, I would say, (laughs) yeah, I, I, I would say that there are a couple of things that I think, just need to be refined. Um, I thought there were times when he had too much movement with his feet on his set in the pocket. Um, There were times he did not really plant and set the way you need to, the way he needs to, because as I said, ultimately he is a pocket quarterback. Um, 
there were times I thought when he rushed himself a little bit and his back foot would come off the ground a little early and that impacts your ability to drive the ball. Um, and as you said, and you're correct, he has a good arm, but he's not what you call a power thrower. No. Um, you know, he's not a Matthew Stafford. He's not a power thrower. Um, then it's always easy to talk about anticipation when you see it in college, mm-hmm. but then you have to think about the nature of the offense in which he was in. Yes. There's many predetermined throws in the Ohio State passing game. Mm-hmm. So you just think about the difference between predetermination and anticipation. There's a fine line there that's often very difficult to know for certain when you watch tape, but it's clearly the case. So, yes. you, so you just you don't know the answer to that until you get him in your camp and you start working with him. Um, I think that his ability to work in contested pockets. I'm not talking about leaving the pocket. I'm talking about when there's bodies around you, um, yep. which happens far more in the NFL, certainly than it did at Ohio state. Um, will he hurry himself? Will he stay poised and composed? Will his mechanics and his fundamentals remain the same? Uh, or will, as I said, will he hurry himself in which case, you know, there's always issues when quarterbacks hurry themselves. So these are things that I think the tape sort of hints at and you will see when he gets to the NFL. But by the way, by saying this, I'm not suggesting he's not a very good prospect. Oh, no. People need to understand that no quarterback comes into the NFL, you know, even Andrew Luck as a truly finished, uh, uh, you know, product. Now, I think you could make the argument and I'm going to throw this out and because I think it you can make the argument that in some ways, and this will sound bold and controversial, but to me it's not, of course, you could make the argument in some ways that Stroud is an equal prospect, you know, just as good as, as, as Lawrence when he came out of Clemson, Mm -hmm. who was not, you know, he got stuck with being generational and obviously had a very good year this year and and is likely to continue to improve, but there were concerns with him as well when he came out of Clemson um, and I think it wasn't a complicated offense. I mean, no. And I think, see, this is where coaching so much comes into play because I, I'm sure you watched a good amount of, of Jacksonville tape this year. I, I think I yep. saw every game. Um, and what the things that Doug Peterson and staff did really, really helped uh, Trevor Lawrence. And I think that that's critical. I think people lose sight of the coaching element. And I think that coaches have to understand not only the strengths and limitations of the player, but then how the rest of the offense must be put together to maximize the strength and minimize the limitations. There's, right. That is critical when you're talking about quarterbacks. And by the way, the fact that a quarterback is helped by his coaching is not a negative. It, no, now people view you can, it that way. Now you can right. flip to the other side of the mountain and all of a sudden he's helped too much by him. And we'll talk about a couple of guys that I think that may be true with uh, in, in this pod. But that a, that a quarterback is, you know, that he doesn't just get the ball and throw it around and he doesn't have any help that, you know, because because he's playing in a system, every quarterback is a system quarterback. So that's not a negative, per se. Of course not. And people view it as such. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to know Bill Walsh and I remember him telling me specifically, he said, you know, he coached Dan Fouts for one year in 1976 with the Chargers. Yeah. Um, and. 
he loved Fouts and Fouts, you know, to this day talks about the impact that Bill Walsh had on his career, obviously before, and this was before air Coriel when Fouts, you know, put up the big numbers. Um, And then of course we know that Bill Walsh coached Joe Montana, but he told me, he said, look, there were some, a couple of throws that Dan Fouts could make that Joe Montana could not make. So in, in our offense, we didn't have those throws with Joe, whereas I had them with Dan. Now, for people listening, they might think, oh, my God, you're crazy. You know, Joe Montana, Hall of Famer, maybe the best quarterback ever, blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever the argument is. But that's coaching. That's understanding what your quarterbacks can do, what they can do well, what they're comfortable doing, and making sure that your offense, you know, works with that and leaves out some things that either they don't do well or they're not comfortable doing. Before we get to Bryce Young, John Madden told a story in one of his books about going to 49ers practice when Montana was the quarterback and their practice fields were half fields. And Madden was like, well, why only half field? Because, and Wall said, we only need half a field for the throws we make because we have this particular quarterback. And of course, Joe Montana is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. No one would say he had a rocket arm. It didn't matter, but right. you know, kind of the thing. Right. No. So, I mean, you know, I think that that coaching is so critical, uh, you know, as, as we discussed briefly about Trevor Lawrence, you know, what Doug Peterson and staff did was phenomenal. They speeded him up. He was very, de- he was very deliberate in everything he did, Trevor Lawrence. And yeah. it didn't really come out at Clemson very often at all. You had to dig deep, which I did watching a lot of tape and saw that when he was under duress, he would rush himself. He would hurry himself and he became wild high. He became a little scattershot yes. because Lawrence was a strider. He still is to some degree, but they were able to shorten that and get him to play. You know, it's the old John Wooden maxim, you know, be quick, but don't hurry. They were able to get him to be quicker without playing faster. And I, you know, you're, you're trying to do that with a lot of quarterbacks. I think you're going to have to do that with Stroud a little bit as well. Yes. The word I use is frenetic and that, leans pretty well into the next guy we're going to talk about, which is Bryce Young. And it's one of my very few negatives about him because there aren't a lot. Um, so Bryce Young, five, a little over 5'10", 204 at the Combine. I'm thinking he banged a few stakes at Harry's and Izzy's to get that because he did not play at 204 on the field. So you not got much. a guy, let's start with the fact that he's basically has a height weight profile of Doug Flutie. Um, I didn't see it as a problem as far as injuries. I think the one injury he had, Drew Sanders from Alabama, the, the linebacker, two-level two linebacker, chased him to the sideline, and he put out his arm to break his fall, and he hurt his shoulder. Right. Um, you can talk about smaller quarter, like when Haloti Nada landed on Robert Griffin and kind of half-ended his career. Well, if Haloti Nada lands on you, Greg, it's going to hurt. So I think Young has a very good sense of when to fold, how to take hits. That didn't worry me. You know, the stuff throwing over the middle, I think his deep numbers over the middle weren't great, but overall I think he handled it well. You know, he's a ball distributor. He's got a good arm. People compare him to Steph Curry and whatnot. Um, Is there – are there limitations schematically or team-wise? Do you think to yourself when you watch Bryce Young, based on his height, based on his weight, I wouldn't want him to go to this team or I would prefer him in in these kinds of systems? Well, ultimately – you want him to be a, a timing and rhythm player. You want yeah. the ball to come out. Um, he's not going to be a sit in the pocket, sit on his back foot and drive the ball kind of quarterback. That's not what he's going to be. Um, and first of all, he probably wouldn't sit there that long because I think in some ways 
he's very much like Mahomes, different body type in his sense of spatial awareness and his understanding of where his people are and where people on the defense are. So, you know, he's not, unless there's truly no pressure, I don't think he's going to sit in the pocket. My guess is he's not going to be a late in the down pocket quarterback who's driving the football with bodies in his face. That's not going to be what Bryce Young is. I'm so. laughing because when you said Mahomes, I'm I'm finishing my quarterback write-ups and the first strength, because his numbers against a blitz last year were absolutely insane. Like, And by the way, even the year before, teams, he had really good success. This is going to get to a really positive point I want to make about Bryce, but he's he always has answers versus blitz. Yes. And he had that even in his – first year in 2021 and he had it last year uh he understands where pressure's coming from uh because ultimately what young is is he really as much as a college quarterback can he has a phd in sort of the nuances and details and subtleties of the position that begins with the pre-snap process and what I wrote, yeah, what I wrote was, why is Young so effective against the Blitz? He has his own version of what Patrick Mahomes has developed to an alien degree, an instinctual feel for where people are in the pocket and how to get out of it to make the big play. That's how we can make uh, ridiculous scramble little throws like this one against LSU, which I'm sure you know about. So, yeah, that's... No, I uh, remember that play as well, of course. Yeah, um, the Mahomes thing. So, and, But the thing is, is to me, to become a great quarterback in the league and... and I don't use the term great loosely, as you know, um, just like I don't use the word elite loosely, but to be at a higher level in the league, which is obviously if you're going to draft him one or two, which is likely what's going to happen, you're expecting him to be that kind of player. You're not expecting him to just be pretty good. You're expecting him to be a high level quarterback. If you draft Um, a Jag at one or two, you are looking for work pretty quickly. Yeah. So, in order to be that guy in this league, you need to be able to win before the snap of the ball. Now, that's not going to happen 100% of the time because there is a defense and defensive coaches are pretty smart too. But you need to be able to come to the line of scrimmage, understand exactly what you're looking at, whatever the key is, whatever the indicator is, there's always something. You know, once in a while, a coach will do something that is so good that you just you just don't see it. That happens. But for the most part, you need to be in a situation where you're winning mentally before the snap of the ball. Now, then there's the physical part. Hey, you might make a bad throw. Okay. But you need to win mentally. Young can do that. Now, Mm -hmm. Bill O'Brien gave him total freedom, even in his first year as a quarterback in 2021, at the line of scrimmage. Okay. So he had that in 2022 as well. That is one of the great strengths of Bryce Young because there are certain things he won't be able to do at a really high level, like sit in the pocket when the bodies are squeezing him. You know, teams will likely rush, try to rush five and keep him in the pocket and and force him to throw the football as the pocket is being squeezed. That's not the strength of his game. You know, he has a good arm, but he doesn't have a, a, a big arm or a power arm. So if he's forced to throw from the pocket where it's tight and his balance can't be perfect, there are certain throws he's not going to be able to make. And that's what defenses are going to try to do. Now, obviously, his game is going to be built in the NFL, in my view anyway, more on second reaction movement than yes. it was in college. Now, in college in 2022, he moved a lot. In 2021, with better receivers and, and arguably a better O-line, 
he didn't have to move as much. Um, but he's going to move in the NFL. But he's he's a very deceptive mover with a great feel for where everybody is. Do you remember there, he had a 53-yard pass to Isaiah Bond against Arkansas where it was more pocket movement than out-of-the-pocket movement? I mean, he can move in the pocket. not a touchdown, though, if I remember. Oh, yeah, it was a 53-yard pass. Um, yeah, I think, but, I think it should have been, and Bond fell down. Yeah, so pocket movement as opposed to moving outside the pocket. I think of Tom Brady. I think of Joe Burrow, like the guys who can move in the small boxing rig and, and you know, make plays. He can also do that. So, yeah, he's yeah. – uh, but um, is, there, is there anything that you think could impede his development at the NFL level? Impede it? Um, um, well, besides being short and skinny, I mean, no. That, but I think he's going to that. need a team that is really well. I think he needs a team that is really strong. In, you know, almost like Drew Brees. When you think of the Saints and you think of um, what. Uh, Sean Payton did in terms of the center and the guards, because, you know, the center and the guards control the depth of the pocket, whereas the tackles control the width of the pocket. He needs the depth of the pocket controlled. Jory Evans, baby. To be able to see and not to, and to be able to to step into throws, you know, and and again, I'm not making an apples to apples comparison, young and breeze. So I don't want people to come away from this saying, I think that, oh, he's Drew Brees. You know, maybe he gets to be that level of quarterback. Um, you know, I think many think that mentally he can be, um, mm-hmm. and that may well be true. But I think just in terms of the physical nature, you need to make sure that you control the depth of the pocket. You know, he can deal with the width of the pocket, okay? Right. But you need he needs to be able to see, and he needs to have space, you know, in some ways, like I said, the, what Sean Payton did with Drew Brees when you go back through the years and how they really dealt with the interior of the O-line with quality players at guard and at center. And as we said last week, now he has another short quarterback, probably going to look pretty much the same. Um, so I, I want to finish with two quarterbacks who have ridiculous tools in different ways and are in need of various degrees of development. I don't know that either one of them could start year one. Um, as well, we know as, that that may or may not be true. We can all think back to, you know, Dave Caldwell when they drafted Blake Bortles saying, yeah. you know, nationally, and I love Dave, you know, saying, well, there's no way he's going to start, you know, year one, he's going to sit. And then it's oh, it year two? Four, maybe yeah. or, or yeah. Mitchell Trubisky with the Bears. There's no way he's going to play. So all yeah. this you're saying in your mind that you don't believe they, they will be ready to play at a high level early, but whether yes. they start or not is, you know, they could oh, that's be starting, a totally different. I mean, like, starting well, week one. Let's start with Will Levis, who like I would give maybe a low second to high third round grade, but he's going to go in the first round. He's going to go in the first half of the first round. Cause he's a big guy with a big arm and he's a quarterback and people need quarterbacks. I mean, okay. So, you know, fine. Um, with Levis, I'll just, my, my basic thing is, you see at times all the things you want, but I mean, and like the field reading, for example, he has, he has examples on tape where he's reading the field really well. And there are other times when I'm like, you missed your, what, what are you doing? So I think with Levis, the the two things that worry me are the inconsistency or the lack of repeatable consistency, the, the lack of repeatable positive plays and the fact that he's been doing this a long time. Where do you stand on Levis? Well, I think if you go back to 2021, and I don't know if you watched 2021. A little bit. Uh, you know, that's when Liam Cohen was there. Sure. And 2021, he was a really comfortable player. Um, you know, 
the Kentucky Pats game was built on NFL formations, NFL route concepts. Levis understood the progressions that come from those concepts. Now, in 2022, Rich Scarangello was there, and he's an NFL guy as well. But for whatever reason, it just was not comfortable for Levis. And I mm-hmm. couldn't tell you why. You and I were not there. We don't know why. Right. Um, Levis was not as rhythmic and efficient. You know, can't, like I said, can't tell you why. Um, you know, I think ultimately when you look at Levis, you see in a couple of things. Number one, he's got size, he's got arm strength, he's got mobility, he's got competitive mm-hmm. toughness. He's yeah. got what you want. Now, there's one thing that he doesn't have particularly well, and, you know, I think this is an issue. I think oh, there's a couple of things. Um, I think that he, he does not throw with a lot of pace and touch. No. He's, he's a 100-mile-an-hour passer. And I think that, you know, again, not making a comparison to, to Zach Wilson, but I think we saw that in this league there are a lot of throws where you need some pace and touch. You need to take yes. something off it. Um, and you need to be precise with your ball location on those kinds of throws. I don't think he's there yet with those kinds of throws. Um, I think that he's stiff. I think he's stiff in the pocket, which is mm-hmm. different than saying that he can run. Yeah, if he has to run because he's big, he's physical, and he's super competitive, you know, yes. that, that's a different thing. But I think within the pocket, I don't think he's a very good pocket mover because I think he's yes. stiff. Well. He's- there are three sort of gradations in my mind of quarterback performance with and without pressure. There is stationary in the pocket. There is pocket movement. And then there is when you need to release from the pocket and go. And Levis is like, like a Lucas Van Ness where it's like speed to power, but the bend isn't there. And maybe the pocket movement is the bend, right? Or Will Anderson kind of a right. thing. In the bend, he has everything else. The pocket movement is the bend, let's say. So if you don't have that attribute, so over because we could talk about each of these guys for half an hour, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. If you are transitioning Will Levis successfully to the NFL, in a nutshell, how do you do that? Well, I think you, he needs an offense in a sense like the Rams, like what Liam Cohen did. Mm-hmm. You need an offense that features, in my view, conventional play action, meaning quarterback under center, more defined reads and throws, less full field progression reads that demand higher level processing traits. Um, Maybe with coaching and more experience, he'll get to that level. Um, I think 2021 gives you a much better feel for how he could effectively transition Mm -hmm. to the league if he had a start early in his career. And again, depending on where he's drafted, that could well be the case. He he may be the day one guy because they have to. Correct. Um, You know, he's a compact, twitchy, and effortless thrower, okay? He can attack all three levels of the field. He's super competitive. We know all that. From everything you hear, he's incredibly smart. You know, so, um, but he's much more power thrower than touch and pace thrower. Um, and any offensive system that he's in must understand that. Um, but I think when all said and done, he needs an offense that does as good a job as you can possibly do at the NFL level of defining the reads. You know, now keep in mind, every system is trying to get the quarterback to throw to the primary. Obviously, that's what you're trying to do. No no system starts with the idea that, you know what, the f- whole foundation of what we're doing is so you're going to throw to your third read. No one says that. I'm not trying to be funny or sarcastic, no, no. but no one obviously does that. But you one have of, to one, of the first things, one of the first things that Sean McVay told Jared Goff in 2017 after Goff had that horrible first year was, I'm right. going to make sure your first read is open all the time. That's a, yeah, just to, that's just what, to that's give you what, a rhythm, just to like calm you down. 
th- that's what you're trying to do. I mean, yeah. now, obviously, we know that doesn't happen 100 percent of the time, you know, or even 80 percent of the time. Right. But that's what you're trying to do. That's how systems are built. You know, that's why the point you made is correct. Every quarterback is a system quarterback. You know, that has a pejorative feel to it in most people's minds, but it's not. Every every quarterback is, is taught a system. That's how it's taught. Yeah. You know, um, the better coaches, you know, do a better job, a more consistent job of getting the quarterback to be able to throw to that primary read. I mean, sure. Jared Goff is such a good example because say what you want about Jared Goff, and I know people, you know, they can say what they want, but Jared Goff is a really good throw over the football and he had great years with the Rams. He had a phenomenal year this year in Detroit where, and that's an offense I'm going to study this summer, what Ben Johnson did. Because, oh, fascinating. You know, yeah. I, I, I saw it throughout the year, but you know, it's a whole different deal when you can watch five or six games in a row, which I can't do during the season. So yeah. I'm going to get to do that this off season, but Goff was extremely comfortable and, you know, he, he threw a lot to that first read. That's what you need to do with Will Levis. You need to try to put him in that situation. And and you need the run game. And you need personnel and formations that dictate that the defense line up in a certain way. We'll get to Richardson. This is really going to be true with him. And I, yeah. I'll give you my thoughts on that. But you need you want to have a sense that, hey, we know this is how the defense is going to play from a personnel and from an alignment standpoint because of what we do, and therefore you'll have a better understanding as a quarterback where the throws are based on what we do and what we call because we know what the defense is going to do. My last note on Levis was that he will need to be with an NFL offense that defines – uh, everything things will have to be defined on every play. And that's not a negative per se. It's not ideally what you want because you want a guy who can be a little bit more ex- extemporaneous maybe, and maybe he can be that later. Um, but and I was thinking McVeigh in my head when I was like, okay, Chris McVeigh is such a great definer of things. Right, and Liam Cohen was running that offense. Right. Uh, so Anthony Richardson, let's you know the traits are just stupid. I mean, he's built like Khalil Mack. He runs like Michael Vick. He throws like Randall Cunningham. Okay, fine. So we we all know this. Um, my comp for him was Colin Kaepernick. Uh, the Cam Newton comps are you know prevalent and well informed to a point. I think Cam had a better. You talked about Levis being a fastball guy. I mean, Kaepernick was a legitimate ninety-five mile an hour pitcher in college, I believe. And with Kaepernick, everything was a fastball. Everything was a heater. You watch Richardson's tape. You watch what he did as a pro day, everything's a heater. And it's why he was like great downfield and the stuff from zero to nine yards was mystery meat. Um, so I think, I mean, I think it's pretty common knowledge what he is and what he needs to be. So let's cut to the chase and ask you, Greg, how do you take Anthony Richardson and turn him into a quarterback as opposed to what he might be right now with one year as a starter in college. I think the last guy to go in the first round with one year as a starter in college was Trubisky. And that that wasn't the only reason things didn't work, but it was probably one. Yeah. Now see, to me, when I watched Richardson and thought about his transition to the NFL, to me, you have to run the Eagles offense with Anthony Richardson. Yes. Because what you need is you need an offense in which the, the, quarterback run game which is going to be significant with Anthony Richardson is dictates how the defense has to play yeah uh, because look obviously the Eagles had two really good wideouts and, and a top five tight end 
and that obviously helped. But the Eagles' pass game functioned really, really well because of what they knew they were going to get from the defense because of the run game element. Hertz was the whole – Hertz was everything with the Eagles' offense. He was the epicenter. I wrote an article in season called you – know, people were calling him a system quarterback as a negative. I mean, people I respect. Yeah, but really he was the system. Yeah, and I, the, the article was called Jalen Hurts is a system, and the system is Jalen Hurts. And that worked right. out, by the way, pretty well for him yesterday. Ching, ching. Yeah, so, and, yeah, and, you know, I talked to a, a coach at the Combine who was on the, in the Eagles staff a year or so ago, and he said that, you know, the number of concepts they have in the pass game is, is relatively limited because yes. they don't need more. They yeah. can master those concepts, and then when you have really good players, which Richardson may or may not have wherever he goes, but, but the point is is that – the pass game does not need to be so multidimensional because what happens is is you get certain things that have to happen defensively to deal with the run game element that Hurts yes. gives you and that Richardson can give you. You know, the Eagles offense was built around Jalen Hurts. You know, the idea that anybody could run that offense is wrong. It's no. built around Jalen Hurts because of what the defense has to do in order to defend Jalen Hurts as a runner. And you must defend Jalen Hurts as a runner. So you'll have to defend Anthony Richardson as a runner. Um, you know, and I, I think that to me, like, you know, everybody wants to – when I think of comparisons, there's many ways to think of comparisons. There's th- to think of comparisons in terms of an individual, you know, and there's to think of comparisons in terms of what kind of offense or system you need to run. Sure. And, you know, I think that that's what Anthony Richardson really needs to be – the kind of system he needs to be in where, in a sense, he's the foundation even early in his career, just as Jalen is, um, and – that dictates how the defense will play and therefore helps him tremendously with the mental part of the game as theoretically he grows. Well, to, to wrap it up on Richardson, um, and whether you agree or disagree with the Kaepernick comp, that's not really relevant, but what Kaepernick did, what Lamar did in that Greg Roman offense where it's all kinds of blocking schemes and all kinds of run concepts, could you extrapolate him into something like that? Or how you different can. is that than the Eagles offense? You can, and don't forget Kaepernick and Lamar basically in the same offense because it's Greg Roman. Right. But then you get caught up in the pass game element. I mean, you know, I think one thing about the Eagles with Jalen is even though their pass game doesn't have a hundred, you know, a ton of concepts like maybe a Mike Martz offense would, you know, um, they still have really good pass game concepts that attack all three levels of the field. Yes. You know, it's it's the Eagles' pass game is even within its Simple is not the right word, so I don't want people to think that that, that I'm thinking simple. Even I think with we know, it, yeah, we know what you mean. Yeah, even with its lesser number of of concepts, is still a kind of a a multi dimensional pass game. Um, you, you know, I'm not sure you'd say that about the Kaepernick pass game when he was with the 49ers, and I'm not mm-hmm. sure you'd say that about the Lamar pass game with the Ravens. Um, I would rather see Richardson more in in an Eagles type offense to help him grow, you know, and, you know, cause I think, look, as you probably know, and I know this for a fact, and and obviously this is debatable when Lamar first came in the league. Okay. And I know he was uh, uh, the MVP his technically his first full year as a starter. Correct. Mm -hmm. But there was definitely a belief within the coaching staff, not just Greg Roman, the entire coaching staff, 
that that was the kind of offense they had to run. That he oh no, they redefined the whole offense for him. And again, right? But I mean, in terms of, of running, yeah. But in terms of running, in yes. other words, that they didn't believe at that time that he was a good enough thrower to just be a you know to do more sure. expansive pass game stuff. Now I don't think anyone that, would disagree with that. Even the biggest yeah. Lamar stand in the world knew he had you know work to do. Right now, you could say at this point maybe that's true, maybe that's not true. But the point is, back then, that's what they felt. Um, right. You know, so that was clearly a run game offense. I, I don't know if I could Richardson be in that. Of course he could. But I, I think you'd want to do a little more than that if you can. I've mocked him to the Colts a few times at four, and it's Shane Steichen. There you go. Well, and then you'd see the Hurts offense. Yeah. Yep. And exactly. Shane, by the way, Shane has a lot of experience. You know, he was with Philip Rivers, and, and Richardson's yeah. not Philip Rivers. I'm not suggesting that. But I think no. he has – an understanding of the fact that the pass game needs to have a more expansive element to it. Yep. Well, those are the uh, quarterback transitions for uh, the transitions to the NFL for the top four quarterbacks in this draft class. I, w- I don't want to get into Hendon Hooker because that's going to take me half an hour. And I, I know you're. I like Hendon Hooker though. Yeah. Um, but, you know, his offense and what's transferable and what's not. But, uh, Greg, great stuff as always. And, uh, we'll both keep grinding and we'll, uh, we'll get heavy into the draft. My goodness, it'll be two days away next week when we talk. So Yeah, two days away. Yep. Off we go, and uh, thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Doug. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.